0: Good morning. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 5 to 6. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us, now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foreman, appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers, were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now, get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country.
1: Now before we jump into our passage today, I want to just take a moment and address something uh, that's sometimes questioned, and this passage actually helps us to see. Uh, there's often a question of, did this stuff ever really happen? Like, what's the historicity of it. Like, how how accurate is it? How factual is it? And uh, that's sometimes a a difficult question to sort of handle. I mean, it's a justifiable question. We want to know if we're going to really trust God's Word, if we're really going to wrestle with big questions in life. Uh, We want to know that there's some level of truth to what we read, especially when we go into these sort of historical accounts. And this one for instance, is over 4,000 years old. So how do we know that this story that's been passed down for about 4,200 years is really uh, something that has come to pass? Well, one of the fortunate things we have in these types of passages is we see that there's little details that are built in. For instance, some time ago, uh, some scholars would have thought that this was impossible to have happened for the Israelites to have made bricks without the inclusion of straw especially in order to make some type of quota would have been deemed just like complete nonsense and in fact for a long time as they were unearthing uh, different archaeological sites in Egypt all they ever found were sites where there was straw built into the bricks That was, of course, until the late 19th century when archaeologist Villers Stewart was excavating a site. When he came across it, this is what he said. He said, I've carefully examined round the chamber walls and I noticed that some of the corners of the brickwork throughout were built of bricks without straw. I do not remember to have met anywhere in Egypt bricks so made." The things that archaeological discoveries can tell us about bringing historical fact to the truth we read in Scripture is very helpful. A small detail, one that was long thought to be something we should just throw away, has since been verified, and that is a part of why we can hold these Scriptures as something that we really want to look into and to see what the truth is about our lives and the way that we can live them ...as we follow after God. And that's helpful, especially when we come to difficult stories like the one that we have today. But before we jump into it and the question that arises from what Hannah just read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. And God, I thank you that it is uh, historical. God, I thank you that something that happened 4,000 years ago was able to be verified, even though it was long thought to be impossible in its day and I just thank you for how you provide those things so that we today can look to this for your truth and we can hold it with some type of just authority in our lives and so God as we wrestle with this passage today and what it means for us I just pray that uh, you would speak clearly to us would we have uh, confidence to hear from you today and Lord God would you lead us in whatever way you would have for us i pray that these words would be yours not mine whatever i say that's out of line take it out of the ears and minds but lord whatever is true of you just speak through me we pray this all in jesus name amen have you ever found yourself asking the question why does allow why does god allow things to go wrong when we're trying to follow him maybe another way of asking is why do bad things happen to good people Why are we as people who are trying to follow after the God of the universe constantly running into things that cause us a lot of pain? And then what should we do? What should we do as followers of Jesus when we run into these places where we're trying to follow him and things just don't go as we had planned? How do we respond to that? These are the questions that kind of flood my mind as I read the passage that was just read for us today i mean we we've come to this place where moses has just had this encounter with god and mount horeb and god's revealed to him that he wants to send him to go to pharaoh where he was raised and he wanted him to say let my people go so they can come out into the wilderness and worship me and be away from your slavery now it took a little bit of convincing for Moses to get to a place where he was like, okay, I'll go. I mean, God ended up sort of acquiescing that Aaron, Moses' brother, could come along with him. He'd given him some signs through a rod that was able to be thrown down and turned into a serpent. And then he could pick it up and it was back into a rod. There was this miraculous that took place on that one day. And from there, Moses was like, okay, I'll go. You've told me what I should do I've seen some of the provision that you have for me and so I'm going to go tell Pharaoh to let his people go who are in slavery so that they can go out for a few days to worship God in the wilderness but that's where things sort of stop flowing in the way that Moses might have planned when Moses shows up instead of Pharaoh going all right you know, God's also spoken to me and I knew that this would be the right thing. Uh, Instead of him saying, all right, here's a three-day leave pass, take some people and go, he says, oh really? Oh really, is that what you want? I don't care. Why would I care about what your God thinks? Remember, Pharaoh is the King of the castle. He's the ruler of Egypt. He himself was viewed as a god. And so he just laughs at Moses and Aaron's request. So Moses then takes a step back and he goes, okay, Mel, maybe I just didn't ask it the right sort of way. And so we actually see in the text, right? Moses asks Pharaoh two times, but we see that there's sort of two different tasks that he takes. The first one, sort of this demand. I came, I'm coming in the name of God, look at what God has done, he's shown me who he is, I'm expecting Pharaoh to see, Pharaoh responds negatively, then he kind of comes along a little more politely, kind of leans back on that Egyptian upbringing that he had and sort of fits it in a little bit more tidy, he's like, well, the God of the Hebrews, you know, not, not, not you, Pharaoh, but the God of the Hebrews, he says he wants them to come out to see me and so Moses asks a little bit more formally a little bit more politely but this time it goes even worse for him this time Pharaoh doesn't just say no he says why are you wasting my time and yours there's better things that are supposed to be done today and clearly since you have too much time on your hands I'm going to make your hands a little bit busier I'm going to give you people a little bit more work to do. Because if you've got time to have three days to go out into the wilderness, if you've got time to sit there and complain about the circumstances that you're in, clearly I'll need to fill your time for you. And so here's what's going to happen. Everyone who's a slave is now not just going to have to build bricks to build things with our provided straw, but they're going to have to go out and source the materials themselves and so he pharaoh sends out a notice to all the construction material suppliers he calls the home depots and the ronas of his day and says don't give this stuff to them let them go out and cut down the straw themselves let them work it in and develop their own bricks but while he says that to the suppliers he still says to the foreman i want everything to remain on pace you got to keep bringing me the bricks and keep building at the same pace. Naturally people are mad, right? Like like, like we can see it. We can get into that this. this would be maddening that suddenly this excruciating life you're leading has gotten a little bit harder. And I want you for just a moment to think about how hard these things can really be. And this quote here is from a professor of archaeology from King's College in New York. He said, they worked out in the hot Egyptian sun all day, often in temperatures over 100 degrees. Driven to optimum production by their taskmasters, they had no hats to protect their heads. They wore nothing but a brief kilt or an apron on their bodies. A deathly Egyptian father talked to his son one day about the conditions of these bricklayers. He observed that their kidneys would suffer because they were out in the sun with no clothes on. Their hands would have been torn to ribbons by the cruel work, and they would have to need all sorts of muscle. Certainly, no one would stand by and give these workers a drink every few minutes. It does not take much imagination then to conclude that the severe rigor imposed on them would have resulted in dying of dehydration, uh, uh, prostration, heat stroke, and the like. And so he says there's all these sort of heat-related injuries that would have taken place. Their kidneys would have been able to shut down. They would have had those massive headaches we all know and get when it's hot and we're running out of water. And then, not just that, they would have died. Like, as they were going about this working conditions, left and right, people would begin to drop like flies. Yet, even as they died, they would have to continue meeting the quota. And so the Israelites are toiling in the midst of this situation. They're struggling. They're complaining to one another. But the thing is, no one's told them why things got worse. We see that, right? In verse 15, we read that the Israelite foremen then go up to Pharaoh, and they're like, why are you doing this to us? Classic. Everybody's been in a workplace where no one passes why the new request for work gets passed down the chain, right? We know what this is like, and so we could imagine, especially in this excruciating heat with these massive demands, they're going, why are we suffering even more? And Pharaoh explains, he explains what's gone on and, and why they're beginning to suffer because they're lazy. They have time to gripe about wanting to worship God. They have time to complain about the work. So clearly they're not exhausted enough. And so he says, because you're lazy and you want to worship this God, I want to occupy your mind with things that are worse. And so this just ticks off the Israelites, right? This just makes them mad. And so they head to Moses and his brother Aaron, and they begin to complain. Not only do they complain, though, they actually curse Moses. They say in verse 21, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so these Israelites who are just toiling, who ended up in this place hundreds of years before because God had led their people there, first with Joseph, then with his family, they're sitting there and they're going, why, God, why? Our family, our ancestors have tried to follow you. Now you've given us this idiot who's our spokesperson and he's making things pretty bad. Well, Moses, as he receives this, is also a little bit angry. Right? We, we, we see he turns in, in verse 22 and 23. He's like, okay, God, oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. God, we had a plan. You told me to go, and the people were going to get set free. This is not going according to plan. Was this really what you wanted? You wanted me to take place in this sort of awful rejection, in the, the punishment of your people? This is what you want from me, God, really? But God responds. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And so, in a way, God really says, God, things, uh, Moses, things aren't going according to your plan. They're going according to mine. When we read passages like this, as I said, it's really easy to come to this sort of place where we ask, why does God things, allow things to go wrong? I mean, it doesn't matter what sort of story you read through scripture. It doesn't matter what sort of Christian experience you've had. We've all run into these situations where we've thought we're following God, and then things just don't go quite like the video we play in our mind. You know, I've had these situations where I've thought, you know, things are going to go one way, and then they go a total other. And I'm like, hey, God, I thought we planned this together. What's happening in this place? This is the stuff, right? We see the Israelites asking of Moses and Moses asking of them. And this is the real experience that there is to live as followers of God. If we're real and honest, followers of Jesus will always face rejection, suffering, and evil failure according to our plans. Even when we do the best we can, when trying to follow what God would have us do. This happened to our family a little over six years ago as we moved to Abbotsford uh, for me to take this call. So we were living in North Van at the time, and uh, we'd been there for a long time. I was pastoring. My wife had just finished school, gone, and got a a job in uh, a hair salon, and we took the call to come to this place. And it was really beautiful, actually, how God orchestrated uh, me coming into the role here at Emmanuel, and it was just this beautiful thing. And so we thought, surely everything is going to work out perfectly. This is going to be great. Amy's going to find a job. We're going to find an immediate community. We're going to find the perfect house and the perfect place. And this is all just going to align great. But wouldn't you know, as we came into town, things didn't quite work perfectly, While we were happy for the home we had, it wasn't quite in the neighborhood that we had thought it would have been in. While my wife had just come out of hair school at the top of her class and worked in the number two salon for the Vancouver region, she couldn't find work here in the city. In fact, people would look at her and tell her that they didn't want to hire her because we were following God's call. You see, a lot of salons in town had been burned by Christians who were perhaps not the best representatives of Christ and who had been judgmental and rude to customers and people of different backgrounds. And so they were naturally hesitant when they heard that a Christian, let alone a pastor's wife, was going to come in to their salon. And so while we can now see it in retrospect how God was moving, at the time we were kind of like, what is happening? God, you've called us to this place, you've made something sort of clear to us, but things aren't really going in the way that we thought they would, okay? But this isn't just true of us. Things have actually been much more significant for others who we know as they followed Jesus. There's a couple in our church whose son died by being killed and crossing a river, when they were serving him on the mission field in Africa. We know others who are part of our church family who developed illnesses or sustained injuries in different ways as they've tried to follow Jesus here and overseas. Even more of us have stories of rejection and failure as we've tried to live out the call to share God with others around us, and we've found that sometimes friends, family, coworkers, classmates don't always receive that all that well, and we've experienced failure, rejection, sometimes a, quite a bit of misery. And all the while, as we go through this, we ask ourselves, "Why?" Why is it happening like this? Is this really what you called me to? We have those same questions the Israelites and Moses had that day. And there is a reality to it. The reality is that we live in a broken world that's made broken by sin... And until Jesus comes again, because of the things that we do that go against him, there's going to be systems and structures and people and problems that will all take place. Add to that that there is a very real enemy to the good news of Jesus who does not want us to turn to God or others to do the same. And so he'll try to do anything he can to make us run away, to flee from the call that God has put on our lives. Now, even if we believe that, though, right, we we can say, well, that's all very well and true, but why does God allow it to be that way? Like, if God is creator and sustainer of the universe, if he's the one who could orchestrate things through time so that in the late 19th century, somebody could finally find some bricks without straw so that we could understand that this story from 4,000 years ago was true, why can't God orchestrate things to go well when we're doing our very best to serve him? Well, the scripture give us, gives us a couple realities. It gives us a couple insights into who God is and why he allows things like this to take place. The first thing that we see is because when there are delays in the fulfillment of God's promises— it reveals what's really going on in our hearts. Now, it's certainly easy to understand why people were angry with Moses and why Moses was frustrated with God. I mean, again, right? They had these expectations. As people of God, they had expectations that God would show up and that he would reign supreme and that things would go in a certain way. Moses had these promises, Pharaoh will let my people go. Okay, okay. But it gets delayed. Well, we all know that in those types of circumstances, whenever something fails in our lives, the reality of who we are comes out. When we're stressed, when we're under pressure, when people really push us and take more than we're ready to give, right? What happens is our true selves come out. Our true selves, either the best. Or the worst are revealed in us when there's delayed gratification. You can see this in kids all the time, right? Have you ever tried to delay gratification for a kid? You can see they've done experiments where they they took kids into this room and they 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 gave them one marshmallow on a plate, and they said, "You can have this now and enjoy that treat that we've been telling you about all the way into this room, or." You can wait, and we'll come back in 15 minutes, and you'll get 10 marshmallows. Well, what happens with those kids? They eat the marshmallow, they take a little bite, they try to hide it in some sort of way so they can have 11 a little bit later. The truth of the reality comes out when the fulfillment of what they wanted were promised before they came to the experiment that day gets delayed. And in the same way for us, those things become revealed. And so God allows things to take place, to take time, to cause delays in order to reveal what's really going on in us. If you were to read 1 Samuel chapter 6, we we see that that God does not care about our outward appearance, but he cares about matters of the heart. You know, this is something that was a significant part of my journey as a pastor through COVID. It's actually something that I have been unpacking through spiritual direction, through counseling, through talking with friends and family. And and I didn't realize it at first, but going into COVID, there were a lot of things in my heart which weren't aligned with the things of God. For those of you who were around church pre-COVID, you'll remember our church was kind of in this season of booming and we kind of come out of this difficult place a couple years prior. And, and, and we had this vision and we had this plan and we had these expectations of where God was leading. And then for some reason, some virus from far away brought everything to a stop. And all of a sudden, all these things that we had been dreaming about and working towards and agonizing over just suddenly weren't working. The systems that we had put in place, these wise ideas that we thought were were part of us following God, just didn't seem to have the legs and were collapsing under the pressure of what took place over those couple years. And if I'm really honest, I was a lot like Moses. Moses. I was just angry with what God was doing. I asked those same questions. God, is this really what you want? Is this really what we were building towards? Is this really what you were envisioning as we've been, 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 been struggling and working together as a church family to, to see people follow you passionately? Is this what's going on? And as I let out that frustration, as I felt myself blowing off that steam, what rose to the surface was what was really in my heart. The things that I had valued, that were maybe not bad in and of themselves, but had way too much value ascribed to them. The things that I thought were the right things, that really were actually just sort of whitewashing on something that was rotting away. There were things that I had been doing that needed to be carved out so other new things could take place. I realized even in the midst of that, that a lot of my identity was tied to my success as a pastor. To what was going on in this community, rather than my identity being tied in to who God was. The one who was actually making all the things that way. And so when things didn't go as planned, God revealed what was going on in my heart. And I had to stop and think. I had to think about why this was really coming to take place. And as I've walked through the last sort of three, four years, I've begun to realize that God wanted to reshape me. God wanted to reshape me in ways that I am still undergoing things, in ways that I'm just beginning to understand, in ways I know already that I'll never really see for quite some time until other things take place. But I know that God said, I want to bring to the surface something out of my delay so that I can reshape you in the way that I want you to be. God did this to Moses. He did this to Israelites. That's why they had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness took a lot of delayed fulfillment in order for him to bring them to a certain place. So when you come to these places, I want you to ask, what's going on in my heart? Now there's a second reason why God might allow these things to pl- take place, these things that are wrong, these places of suffering, these uh, ways where we might feel defeat, rejection, or, or failure, and that's because when things are darkest, God shines brightest. This is God's response to Moses again. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now, catch that word, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. You can underline those words in your Bible, right? Now, And the word will over and over, I will do to Pharaoh, he will let them go, he will drive them out. One of the amazing things that we will see as we go through our study of Exodus is that God will not just use Pharaoh's resistance, but he'll use all sorts of different things along the way that seem like failures and suffering and pain in order to really reveal how great he is, how beautiful, how wonderful, how purposeful he is in all things. He'll use the difficult circumstance of Pharaoh to show that he's greater than Pharaoh's gods. So that one day when the, Egypt, when the Israelites leave Egypt, they won't look back for the Egyptian gods. He'll use the difficult circumstances of the desert wilderness to reveal to him that he can provide in any sort of way, like bringing water out of a rock or supernatural manna upon the fields or weird migrating patterns of animals so that he can bring them meat. In these sort of ways, God allows the people to come to the darkest place so that he can shine more clearly. It's in the darkest rooms. The light seems the brightest. And God has always worked this way. It's not just in what we see with the Israelites before they're set free through Pharaoh, but it's also in the same way that God exalted himself through Jesus Christ. It wasn't until the frailty of Jesus' humanity was on display on the cross, and that he died, and that he was buried for three days, that his disciples really got to see the fullness of who he was. It wasn't until he was resurrected from the grave that people were really able to see, oh, now I see how great God is. We see this because the disciples ran away when he went to the cross, but then they went to a martyr's death after he was raised. These are the type of things that God wants us to see. And so sometimes we look at suffering and rejection and defeat and things not going our way as woe is me. But really it should be something much different. It should be woe is he. It should be this ability to open our eyes and to see how more clearly how wonderful and how beautiful and how purposeful he is. And that's which should lead us to this place where even though we might be suffering, we recognize that in the long run, it's so insignificant. It's so immeasurable in the negative sense, because God is so much more immeasurable in the great sense. We can hold out hope that God will return things to something more beautiful, If we would only have the eyes to see what he can bring about. And so we need to stay fixated on the promises of God, knowing that he's already fulfilled his greatest one. what should our response be? What should our response be as we come upon these things? As you go through your day, as I go through my day, as we go through our weeks, our months, our year, what should we do when we come across these situations where things just don't go as planned, where it seems like God just opens the floodgates of everything that's wrong into our lives? Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is examine what's going on in your heart. Allow God to reveal what things you worship, what wrong sense of identity you have, what misunderstandings you might have about the ways of God. Allow those things to surface and then bring them back to him. You know, sometimes for some reason our Christian experience has been lived for most of our lives, at least for mine, on autopilot. We go, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go, okay, this hiccup happened, but I'm going to move and just change course. And and, and, and I do that without really thinking. But God says, I want you to love me, right? The great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. When he says all of it, he wants us to reflect with it. He wants us to engage it. He wants us to ask good questions. He wants us to to get counseling and wisdom and discernment from other people. He wants us to engage. Take time to explore the complexities of the thoughts and feelings that arise within you. Allow that expression of frustration and disappointment to God to reveal the unclean thing. And then capture them, take hold of them, and bring them to him. And allow him to do a new work within you. Don't go 40 years through the wilderness like we'll see the Israelites and Moses do. Bring all things to him as they rise. And we will experience refreshing. The next thing I encourage you to do is look for what God is doing. You know, we we get blinders on so easily we're we're such a society of quick fix easy answers that can be found just by googling and when we go through life we find that neither of those things are real to our experience and so what we need to do is instead of having a little tunnel vision like moses did to step back to see god was so gracious to moses he explained in response to Moses' complaint what he was doing but and likewise for us God will reveal what he's doing we are marvelously we're in this like marvelous time of life where It's not just God's people in one little place at one little time with just a small little people. We actually live in a day and age where God has spread his kingdom and his people all across the globe. So even when things aren't going quite right in our lane, we can look outside of ourselves and see the incredible things that God's doing over here and over here and back there and up there and down there. And we can see that God is working together things for something that's wonderful. And if we allow ourselves... To see that, we really can believe that God will rise above the circumstances that we face in that moment for his purpose. God is so faithful to Moses. He's so faithful to you and to me. What we need to do in this season of thinking things aren't going our way is to trust in him Allow him to reveal things within us and look for the things that he may bring. Now, as we come to a close, uh, we're just going to take a couple moments of of reflection. We've been doing this a lot lately. Uh, We've actually had a few people ask me, why are we doing this in services? And I just want to address that. Like, this is a different rhythm that we've been doing for the last month or so, where at the end of every message, I just ask you to sort of bring something. The reason we do that is is sort of for a, a couple things. The the first one is that I think all of us have the best intention that we're going to come to church, we're going to learn something, and then we're going to go take it with us, and we're going to reflect on it. But let's be honest, as soon as we're in the car, right? This is me. As soon as I'm in the car, I'm like, lunch, what's rest on the day? And even if I have the greatest intentions, oftentimes I forget to stop and think. I forget to invite the Holy Spirit to meet with me. And so what we want to do is we just want to, hold this sort of space in our service where we can actually do that work so that we're prepared as we leave from this place already with what God is doing at work within our heart. And the second reason is really that we believe that we serve and worship a tangible God. And I genuinely believe that if we sort of hold space in our lives, if we just shut out all the other distractions that come in, because let's be honest, we live in a fast-paced, information-heavy, highly stimulating world, but if we can stop that, we have opportunity to think and to be with God and to experience in powerful ways so that we can be spiritually reformed, and so we're holding place for that. And so what I want you to do today is just take something into your mind, that, that we've engaged with this morning. Whether it's the, the validity of the truth of what the scriptures bring and and just celebrating with God that, that he revealed thousands of years after the instance that we read about how this came to be and that it was a true situation and just bring that before God and allow him to speak into you in that. Maybe it's you're you're really struggling and you do feel like things just aren't going the way you thought as a follower of Jesus. Come to God and and, and take opportunity for him to reveal to you, to speak to your heart what might not be aligned with him. Or maybe you're just really focused in a narrow way. Maybe just take opportunity and just say, hey God, bring to mind things that I can see so that I can worship you and truly understand. So I'm just going to quickly pray and then lead us into a moment of silent reflection and then I'll pray to close that time together. Holy Spirit, we are here to meet with you and as we think about these things, God, I just pray that we would be open to encountering your voice, whether it's a gentle prompting or whether it's audibly, however it might be today. Would you reveal to us what we need to hear, feel, and understand from you today? Father God, we are just so thankful that we can come into this place to just meet with you. And Lord, we know you meet with us everywhere. But Lord God, we recognize that there's just something special as you bring your people together to honor you. That you just allow us to engage with you in sort of a different way. And so Lord God, I just thank you for how you have moved this morning. I pray for everyone who's come to this place which is a heaviness whether it's a sense of suffering whether it's a sense of lack of peace whether it's just a wondering about where you are and god i just pray for faith that would rise up within them. I pray that they would encounter you in such a tangible way that they would have the strength to face each and every day. And God, we know you promised the strength for each day. Maybe not the strength for tomorrow, but the strength for today. And so, God, I just pray that you would bolster them with that and allow them to leave this place with an ability to to keep their, their hearts and their heads held high, trusting in you. God, I pray for those who who've come with a sense of, of just little faith about trust or, or maybe a, a place of doubt about who you are and what you can do. And God, I just thank you for how you can meet us in that. And God, I thank you that you are a God who receives our doubts, who receives our our complaints, who receives our, our wonderings that feel like, like longings, that things just aren't the way they are meant to be. And God, I pray for everyone here who's that way today. Lord God, in some way, would a little bit more faith be built into them? Where would maybe a question be answered? Or if you don't answer a question, Lord God, would there be an, a sense that there is something wonderful and beautiful to who you are? And would that compel them to continue to ask those questions, but not for the sake of wandering away from you, but for the sake of seeing you for who you are a little bit more clearly? And Lord God, for everyone else in this place, whatever they prayed, Lord God, I just pray that they would know in some kind of way, whether today or this week, that their prayers have been heard, that you have or will answer. And Lord God, will we then see how you move? We thank you, Lord, that this reply relies all on you and that we just have to reply and respond to you. And God, just meet us here today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.